Shandy Chernow, and you're listening to the Shandyland Podcast. I am absolutely honored today to have Dr. Abby Herzig, who is founder and CEO of Belay and a clinical psychologist. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you. It's a pleasure and an honor. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I... You kind of do it all. I know you're not practicing in in psychology right now to focus on belay, but how did you get into that? Like you woke up one day and decided like, I'm going to help little kids feel better about their lives. Like, how did you get into that? And tell me the whole story of what happened. We'll get into belay in a little bit, but before that. I wanted to be a shrink from the moment I was a child. I knew that that was my life's passion. I was fascinated in the human mind as a little girl. Um, I have a memory being at a bookstore um, with my parents and buying uh, a book on Freud. No way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Who knows if I what I understood. Um, and I remember books on sexuality. <laughs> I was just fascinated in the human mind and things that aren't spoken about, things that are illicit, things that are forbidden, but we know are really on everybody's minds. And so that I was on a um, one-way street to that profession from the moment I could think about it uh, as a child. And it's sort of strange that I'm actually, I took a detour, <laughs> but I practiced for a long time, um, worked in hospitals, uh, had a private practice in New York City, um, worked in the court system and in schools, and still a big part of who I am today. Yeah, it's so interesting that you say that the things that you know everybody ta- thinks about that nobody talks about. Like, there's no topics in my house that are off limits. Like, if my kids have a question about something, let's talk about it. Right? It's 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 not an issue here, but certainly I don't know that that's the norm. How do you make people feel comfortable, kind of digging around in those parts of the brain? If if I'm seeing them clinically, sure. That's a really good question. That's a complicated question. I think the first thing you address is what we call the defenses and meaning the things that they are um, afraid will happen if they talk about those things. Sealing off a lot of the things that are forbidden and frightening for people to talk about are fears, uh, what will happen to them um, or how they might appear or seem to others. So first you have to deal with the defenses, which are usually around shame, embarrassment, anxiety. Once you tackle those, then sometimes the floodworks come out. Yeah, I mean, I think so many, certainly of our parents' generation, kind of silenced those kinds of conversations, right? Whatever the topic may be, I think we could probably name 30 of them off the top of our heads, right? Things that you don't talk about. And it, it's really amazing how that, no, we can't talk about that. That's off limits in grains, isn't it? It's yeah. Crazy. But, you know, for me, it wasn't even just things that are taboo. I remember as a little girl sensing, you know, maybe I'm going to be too honest here, but I'm just going to go with it because I guess that's all I, all I know how to do. Yeah. But I remember sensing something strange in my parents' marriage. And it wasn't until I was 18 that they told us they were getting a divorce. But I knew as a kid, I felt it in my bones. My cells knew it. And so sometimes it's not just the taboo topics. I don't even know if my parents knew their marriage wasn't great or they were going to get a divorce. But I, as a child, could feel it. And so I was interested also in 
you know, just like also family secrets, but not even just the secrets we know we're not saying, but just sometimes even the secrets we, we, we haven't even allowed our minds to think about yet. Does that make yeah. sense? Sometimes there are things that we're not even aware we're not thinking about and our kids just absorb it all. They pick up on even things that we think they're not. And it was heavy on me. Everything weighed heavily on me. And so I knew I had to make a career out of understanding it. So then when you're working with, are, are you empathetic with your, uh, I want to say customers, but that's not the right word, patients. Do you bring that home with you? Or did you bring that home with you when you were working with someone on particularly heavy topics? Um, I think you get better at not doing that. And I think if you start to do that, it, you have to begin to be self-reflective as a really good therapist to ask why. What's happening between me and the patient that I'm unable to let it go when I leave the office? There's something happening in the interaction and the dynamic between us. Even if that patient unconsciously wants me to bring it home, wants me to carry her or him with me. You know, so, and then you have to kind of analyze what's happening to you. It's, it's part of um, risk for the mill. Yeah. So interesting. I, I, we're a little, you know, this is not the topic of the day, if you will, but still, I, mean, I think it's just so fascinating. So you have children. Yeah. Three. Do you psychoanalyze them? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think I do, you know, internally and you can't yeah. turn that part of your brain off. I definitely don't treat them like patients. Good. I don't yeah. do that. But I hope I am not, I hope I, you know, we don't see ourselves. We just don't. Um, that's why it's good to have a good partner to keep you in check. Um, I'm Balance. pretty cognizant, yeah, and to say, you know, you know, I wouldn't say that to her. You know, like my, my husband will, you know, nudge me. Um, Probably goes both ways. Totally. Yeah. Totally, totally. And you have to, you know, have thick skin to get the criticism from your spouse because we all say things we don't really want to say to our kids. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I definitely don't to their faces, but I definitely think about them in a psychological way. For sure. a, a gentleman I used to work with said to me when I was pregnant with my first son, he had three kids already. Um, and he said to me, you know, Shandy, we get kids for a lot of days and you're going to screw up a good, a good bit. But on those days where you screw stuff up, just remember that you've got a lot of days to fix it and, you know, do right. I couldn't agree more. If I could give advice to you right now in response to that, what matters so much, and there's so much research also to support this, it's the moments of reparation. It's okay to break. It's okay to fight. It's okay to feel like you hate each other. It's the coming back, it's the reunion, the reparation that is so important and um, which reinforces like the positive relationships. So similar to what you're saying, as long as you can come back and fix those ruptures, you're on a a good place. I think there probably needs to be more two-way apology, right? Not just kind of forcing the kid into an apology, but making sure that the parents acknowledge they're wrong too. You just gave me goosebumps. I mean, if there's anything I'm committed to doing to my kids and my husband's the same way is saying sorry to our kids because we totally mess up. I mean, if we weren't being taped right now, I would like want to swear, but you, know, <laughs> you can swear. We, it's okay. <laughs> okay. This podcast is marked explicit. Just in case. Okay. <laughs> we fuck up a lot. Yeah. Um, and you have to give your kids reality testing. 
if, if you are an asshole to your child and you scream at them or you shame them and you don't acknowledge it, you're going to screw up your kid. Yeah. If you do it and you go back to them and say, I should have never said that to you, you know, or I should have never yelled or I lost my temper and that wasn't cool. It gives them a sense that their observation, their reality, their feelings in that moment They're are valid. so valid. So apologizing to your kids is like, I think everything, everything. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree to agree, agree with you. And I apologize probably more than I'd like to admit, but uh, <laughs> I think it's a super important part of parenting. So I'm going to use this parenting thing to switch gears a little bit. Yeah. One of your kids, maybe more, but one that I know about has food allergies, which of course is how we find ourselves together today. Not not your child's particular ones, but um, because of the the course change that you made because of it. What happened... Your son was one with his first allergic reaction. How did you handle that? How did that make you feel? And then how did you decide to kind of switch your career course afterwards? Um, I, I had no idea what was happening. I was feeding him oatmeal one day. Uh, I remember we were um, in New York, living in New York at the time. And I decided, because I'm such a health freak, I took a walnut and a grater and I was grating like the walnut over his oatmeal. And he had what would be considered an anaphylactic reaction. I mean, things were coming out of every orifice of his body. And I'll tell you how little I knew. I put him in the bath. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it does, not, parenting doesn't come with a handbook. Yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. I just like, you know, baths solve everything. Let me just put the kid in the bath. I think maybe I gave him Benadryl. Um, and then when we went to the allergist, eventually referred by our pediatrician, he said that is actually considered an anaphylactic reaction because it was systemic. Mm -hmm. He had, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, the, the sneezing, the, all the congestion, the diarrhea, the crying. It was a whole body thing. Um, I didn't I have to say, though, I didn't. I don't know why. I don't have a good answer for this. I didn't. Um, become very anxious about it. That wasn't the turning point for me. I feel like I'm always when my when my kids are with me, I'm less anxious. I have I'm, I have a sense of control. My anxiety tends to go up when my kids aren't with me, and I yeah. put them in the hands of others. And for me, the turning point was when I put my child into preschool for the first time, and I had to hand this child who had been with me for the two and a half years, three years of his life, every single day. I felt like as long as he's with me, he's okay, he's in good hands. I will never let anything happen to this kid. But once I had to hand him over to a teacher who had other children in her class with food allergies and who, you know, I wasn't sure she really understood the signs and symptoms of anaphylaxis or comfort level with giving the EpiPen, that's when um, things changed for me. And I also began to recognize um, there are too many safety gaps in, in schools, daycares, and preschools. Yes. There are no doubt about that. Yeah. What did you find um, could kind of get you through that? That period of dropping yeah. him off? How'd you get through those days, like knowing that he was in someone else's hands? That's a really good question. Um, I think a lot of conversations, a lot of communication, a lot of face-to-face -face discussions. Um, you know, I, I, short of that, it's sort of out of your hands. 
I mean, what, what, what am I going to do, move into the classroom? <laughs> you know, I, it, there's nothing, you, you communicate, you talk, you, you, um, you ask for reassurance, you make sure that they're comfortable. But I think really actually to answer your question, I think that's when I started to plan to build the solution because that's how I think I was really mitigating my anxiety was coming up with a solution because I wasn't feeling comfortable enough. So I better come up with something to yeah. make me feel better when my kid is in someone else's care. Well, and this is, that's exactly what I did, right? I mean, granted it was more selfish. It was my own problem, not my kids, but it, that's exactly how it happens. The whole necessity is the mother of invention thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So oh. tell me about Belay. So, what does it do? How does it help families? How do people get it? All the things. Okay, so we like to think of ourselves as, as an ecosystem um, to help families manage life-threatening food allergies. We are made up of both software and connected hardware, although I will say the connected hardware is not out yet. Um, but the platform, the ecosystem, whatever you want to call it on any given day, is really meant to address the various touch points that a family and child goes through um, from onset of diagnosis, you know, through childhood, adolescence into adulthood. So the first thing we launched is our mobile app. It's totally free. Um, it's in both iOS and Google Play Store. And we did a lot of user research. So our, um, before we launched, we did user research uh, with food allergy families to test some of our assumptions. And one thing we learned was what was making families most anxious, which obviously resonated with me, was when uh, families hand their food allergic child over to other caregivers. Um, and we all can relate to that moment of you know, wanting other people to, to get it, to really understand the severity and all the, the nuances of food allergies. And so the, the, the thing, the, the product that Belay has launched first in our platform is this free app that essentially connects parents to caregivers. Um, parents download the app, they create their child's food allergy profile. It's, you know, it's maybe five to 10 minute process. And then you send your child's profile to anyone's phone. They never have to download the Belay app. It's not a text message or an email. It actually lives on your phone, just like an app. Hmm. So what it will look like for the receiving caregiver, it looks like an app, but it's a child's face. And when they open it, it has the child's allergies, what foods to avoid, what to do in an emergency, where the child's um, epinephrine is. So it gives you everything plus more that you were already communicating to caregivers. Usually it was in like what we found in our research. It was like a piece of paper in a Ziploc bag with the EpiPens handed over to the parent. And so we just streamlined that whole process and digitized it so it goes from parent's phone to caregiver's phone. So it can go to the teacher, the camp counselor, nanny, grandma, whoever. And we also like to think of it as not just keeping the child safe, safe which is first and foremost, its most important feature, but it's educating the world, you know, one caregiver at a time about food allergies. Because when they get the child's profile, they become educated too. Yeah. And so not just caregivers like teachers or nannies, but, you know, friends of other, or parents of other friends or really anybody who's going to be anyone, anyone who's chaperones got on field trips, like whatever. Whatever. Yeah. That's really um, cool. Yeah. And even when you become a teenager, you can send it to your best friend's phone. Yeah. So they have it on their phone. They know exactly what to do in an emergency. College like, roommates, everything. College roommates. Yeah. Sky's the limit. Um, and so that is the very first thing that, um, that we've launched as part of the Belay platform. Like I said, we have some 
connected hardware in the pipeline. Um, and our current focus um, has been working on um, this training program. Yeah. So I want to talk about that, but let's talk about this connected hardware first, if you're able to. What does that mean? Well, connected hardware means a, a piece of hardware that's connected to uh, a mobile device or to an app. So um, we have coming things that will uh, connect to your phone um, and be connect to the Belay app. Okay. Um, and could be something you wear, could be something connected to your epinephrine auto injector. Very good. Um, I like how you're not telling me, but you're telling me. It's great. <laughs> Um, so there's other things in the ecosystem to come, which I think yeah. is amazing. And you yeah. just launched a partnership with the Elijah Avi, uh, Elijah Lavi. I don't know why I'm tripping over that today. Yeah. Foundation to do uh, training for daycares. Yeah. How does that work? How did that come about? Listeners, you may remember Thomas Silvera. He was on, um, and he is the partner, really. Yeah. Um, so the Elijah Alavi Foundation was founded a couple of years ago in response to the most um, horrendous tragedy any of us could ever fathom. Um, their little boy, uh, Elijah Silvera, who's three years old at the time, was fed a grilled cheese sandwich in his daycare, even though he had a known allergy to dairy. He went into anaphylaxis. The protocol wasn't followed. They were not upfront with the parents, and Elijah later that day died. Um, the Elijah Levy Foundation, founded by um, our friends, Thomas Silvera and Dina Hoffer and Elijah's parents, um, uh, have made unbelievable advancements to change what happened Seriously. to their son. Yeah, never happened to another child again. And, the yeah. work that they've been able to, to do is unreal. Unreal. Yeah. Yeah. We're changing the country. Yeah. One state at a time. Yeah. I, I, I would still be in bed. I, I, I don't know how they do it. I, it's unreal to me. It's amazing. I agree with you. I would still be in bed too. Yeah. Um, in 2019, Governor Cuomo, Governor of New York, for those who weren't New Yorkers, um, signed the Elijah Bill, um, which now mandates that daycares in New York City have um, proper training and food allergies and also um, have a system in place, a preparedness plan um, in the event uh, of an anaphylactic um, episode. And so New York, it has passed, it's now being mandated. Um, and it's about to be passed soon again, or not again, but soon um, in other states such as Illinois and Pennsylvania. Um, and, you know, the Elijah Foundation is on a mission to have it passed through the country. Um, so we um, sort of back up to your question. Um, Belay was working on developing a training program for schools and daycares before we had met Thomas, we had started to work on it. And we met at a um, uh, fundraiser, Thomas and I, and we decided to join forces and do it together. Uh -huh. And yeah, uh, it's a really, it's an interesting partnership, you know, to have um, a nonprofit organization and social enterprise companies that have come together. Um, and bring our different strengths and approaches to solving the problem. Um, we went through the arduous process of getting our training program accredited. I mean, anyone can really come up with a training program, but we really wanted to have true credibility. Um, and so we got accredited by an, um, an international, a very renowned international third-party organization that accredits courses. It's called ISET. 
took, as I said, a couple of years to get that. It allows us to now certify anyone who takes our course and provide CEU credits. Um, we've taken our, our course and done so much more with it. There are other courses out there. So we're sort of a hand-holding service. We really come in and we help the daycare or school or youth organization. It, you know, it doesn't just have to be for daycares. And we help them transition from being a place that may not be safe for children with food allergies to being a place that is very safe for children with food allergies. We look at their documentation. We look at where they store epinephrine. We help them understand the legislation. We make sure they have epinephrine that is um, the right dosage, not expired. We facilitate getting them lower cost epinephrine. Um, we provide a meeting for parents if they want. You know, we've heard from a lot of daycares. It's not just us. Our parents really don't, don't are not getting enough information from their own physicians. Can you come in and talk to um, the yeah, no matter how well. safe we are, if we don't have the tools from the parents, we can't keep the kids totally. safe. Because yeah. there are parents who are saying, don't give my kid an EpiPen or, or Obicu or any epinephrine. And so, yeah, so they want us to come in and give parents the reassurance as well. Well, and just to, to tangent off of that, you know, I, I, I find that there's a lot of varying information coming from allergists and pediatricians to parents. I would love nothing more, and I've probably said this in 25 episodes, to standardize that first responder, pediatrician, allergist care plan, right? I mean, we all know what the right things to do are, and yet everybody ends up with these different emergency plans, and it it, it ain't right. No, it ain't right. No, I know. I remember um, there's an allergist who I adore who's been an advisor to Belay for many years named Dr. Shazad Mustafa. He's in Rochester. And he said to me, um, you know, like this wasn't several years ago, but like anyone over the age of 50 who went through medical school or who's an allergist didn't really have training in food allergies. That's right. Uh, you know, you know the, the younger ones are have, getting better education, but the older ones, it just wasn't a problem, you know, a couple decades ago. So they're having to really teach themselves. So it probably accounts for a lot of the discrepancies uh, in the advice being given to families. So one other thing I wanted to mention, I think you'll be excited about because you wanted to know a lot about the hardware. So one other thing that we are launching for schools and daycares that I can reveal is that we are putting in public base stations to hold EpiPens that are going to go into, yes, yes, maybe. Yes. <laughs> no one's ever going to see this video, but I threw my hands up in the air. Yes. Yeah. Everybody needs yeah. some of that right next yeah. to the defibrillators in every building. Totally. So that's exactly what we're doing. And we're doing a pilot this summer. Um, we're launching we're launching in the summer. We're doing a pilot with Head Start, which is this obviously amazing, wonderful organization in the US. Uh, and we're putting um, EpiPen base stations um, in there and all their centers in Onondaga County in upstate New York and Syracuse um, and some restaurants as well. And uh, hopefully gonna roll them out because they should really Exactly. I mean, not just where there's a defibrillator, but wherever there's food. Yeah. We should all be within seconds. Let us know what restaurants are signing up for that because they definitely would be in need of some sort of star and open to it also. You gotcha. You gotcha. Yeah. I sense a a partnership happening here. Okay. Love it. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're very excited about that uh, because we all, all too often find that the epinephrine is stored away in a drawer that only one person you know uh, knows about and has the key 
too. So that has to change. It has to be visible, accessible. And I think it'll also demystify the use yeah, of it. Normalize it. See it every day. Normalize it. Yeah. And I think it gives parents comfort when you walk into a school or daycare, you drop your kid off, you see there's epinephrine on the wall, you know this is a safe place for my kid. They're taking it seriously. Yeah, that's right. I love it. All of these initiatives are amazing. And I think that they are absolutely fabulous. I have a totally innocuous question for you. I like innocuous. <laughs> Are you a rock climber? Meyer, no. <laughs> no, no, but I know where this is going. I wish I were a rock climber. I'm not that cool, actually. Well, I mean, what? you chose Belay as the name, right? Yeah. Connected and held by a cable, right? Like, I get that. I'm Belay certified because my son rock climbs. I do not rock climb, but I can hold him up there. <laughs> you belay him. You belay yeah, him. I belay yeah. him. Yeah. So how did you how did you come up with the name given that it's not a an activity of yours? Yeah. I mean, God, I remember my team. We went through like two months trying to find a name. We even hired a guy who like helps companies come up with the name. We hated every single one of them. And I was having breakfast one morning with uh, our creative director and head of product development. And he was like eating his yogurt. His head was like, you know, barely, he's barely paying attention to me. And he said, what about like a lay? You know, we were talking about, you know, like a lay anxiety. Mm -hmm. And it made me think of the word belay, even though I'm not a rock climber. But I knew that moment that was it because I didn't want the word allergies in the name of our company because um, it doesn't sound good with anything. It doesn't sound good with anything. It's such a diluted word. It's also mm -hmm. used to refer to like snotty, runny noses, you know, in the springtime. It doesn't quite capture the fear, the, the severity, the seriousness of anaphylaxis. Um, and um, the, the undercurrent, the mission of our company, in spite of whatever technology we're building, is that we've always wanted to rebrand food allergies. And rock climbing is that sport that is cool forever. Um, it, it is, it's um, all about perseverance, tenacity, strength. And we want people with food allergies and families raising a child with food allergies to go out there, live their lives, get on an airplane, send your kid to university. And, but we, we want to be a system that's there to support you in the way that you are supported when you are being belayed, when you are rock climbing. Yeah. And that was really- And while you're doing something that seemed like, that might seem overwhelming or crazy or- Right. Yes. Go live your life. That's right. You don't have to stay at home and be afraid to do things just like rock climbing, but you have a support system and that's yeah. how we sort of see ourselves. I love it. I think that's yeah. so great. All right. So one other, again, off the beaten path topic for you, yeah. you work with UNICEF. And when I saw that, I was like, oh my God, UNICEF, like we used to carry around little boxes and collect coins and, you know, raise money for them. And but it's an organization that I feel like you don't hear about as much as when at least I was a kid. What is your work with them and how did you get involved with it and how can people generally help? I do I do a lot less now because um, Belay is full, full time. Um, and I was very involved with them when I lived in New York. I was very involved with a, a specific chapter in New York City. I got involved with them. I mean, I just, my whole life, you know, everyone has something in their lives that they know they're somewhat devoted to, whether it's um, like my sister, her love is for animals, other people, it's the environment. Um, for me, it's just been children. Um, being a psychologist, I also was a child psychologist. Uh, and I was, I think at the time, I had just had my third child. And, you know, Belay was just still starting to grow. 
and I had heard about this chapter of UNICEF called NextGen, and it, it was uh, developed in an effort to get, I think to your point, actually, the younger generations more involved in UNICEF because yeah. the average donor was 60 years old. And the whole point, and it's called, I think I just said this, Next Gen Steering Committee. And it was developed um, to get younger generations more involved and, and to kind of change that perception that it was all about us in the 80s carrying the, the Halloween boxes for the, for the, yeah, the coins. So what happened in my brain is not uncommon here. So good for them. For- yeah, yeah, yes. Um, yeah, and it's... Um, there, I mean, it's unfortunate that people aren't hearing about them enough because when I had the, the fortune to travel with them to various parts of the world, you see the work that they're doing. Um, children are learning, children are in school, children are vaccinated, children are safe you know, because of UNICEF. Um, the, one of the leaders used to say, even if you go into a war-torn country where everyone's killing each other and you know heads are being decapitated and God knows what's happening when UNICEF comes in, everyone drops their guns. Like it just has such a neutralizing presence. And uh, I guess they're embraced by both sides. When they come in, they're just coming in to help the children. They're not there to be on anyone's side. They don't care you know, what your reason is for fighting. We just wanna come in and, and um, make sure the children are safe. Yeah. So really is an incredible organization. And so for anyone who's under 40 who wants to get involved, look up um, UNICEF Next Gen. It's an incredible way to get involved if you are um, young and really want to do something for children around the world. And for those of us who might not be under 40? I think UNICEF is happy to get <laughs> anyone help, to be honest. I mean, I don't know any nonprofit that's turning away anyone, to be quite honest with you. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. So, yeah, I mean, I think that we have covered off quite a few topics around all around your life. I think, you know, we've covered all the things. How can people find you and Belay and the partnership with Elijah Alavi and UNICEF, all the things online? Yes. So our main website is webelay.com. We have a different, it's a subdomain for our training. It's uh, for our our school and daycare training program. It's training.webelay.com. You have to do the HTTP thing. It's still subdomain. Um, but if you go to Webelay, the there's a link there. Yeah. If you go to Webelay.com, there's a uh, link to, it says food allergy training, and that takes you to our training site. Perfect. And you can register there uh, and get all the information, and we will be in touch with you more than you want to hear from us. <laughs> You'll hear so, from us more than you want to. I don't know whether you have ratted yourself out yet or not, but as you know, I like to wrap all these episodes up with two truths and a lie. And when I said to you before the show, everybody always rats themselves out. You said, absolutely not. That is not going to happen. So I am super excited to hear what your two truths and a lie are. Now we're not going to tell which one's not true. So listeners, if you want to know which one's not true, you're going to have to talk to us on social media or in the comments on one of the podcast platforms. So Dr. Abby Herzig, what are your two truths and a lie? Um, when I was a little girl, I was suspended from school because I cut my friend's hair. <laughs> um, I absolutely despise black licorice. And the third one is, I was once sitting front row at a Bruce Springsteen concert and I got to squeeze and tickle his thighs. For those first two, you gave me such great, like, I am not going to tell you face 
I have no idea which one's not true. Thank you for being here, Abby. This has been an amazing conversation. Everybody who's listening, go get involved with the legislation that's happening to get daycares training around the country. Uh, Go get involved with UNICEF. And certainly if you have anybody in the food allergy community around you, make sure that you too are in the Belay community. Thank you for being here. As always, this has been the Shandyland Podcast. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for having me.